0: Welcome to FedSpeak, brought to you by M&I Market News. I'm Pedro DaCosta and I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast today Dr. Olivier Blanchard, the distinguished and renowned former chief economist of the International Monetary Fund, who is now a senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics. To say that Olivier's views are well respected in the economics profession doesn't actually do his work justice. In my experience, his perspectives on macro are held in such high regard that even those who might normally be disinclined to agree with him pay attention when he speaks. Dr. Blanchard has worked on a wide range of macroeconomic policy issues, including the role of monetary and fiscal policy, speculative bubbles, the labor market and determinants of unemployment, and more. He's worked with numerous countries and international organizations and is the author of several books and many more articles. It's a real pleasure to welcome you to FETSpeak, sir.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure to be there. Thank you for the kind words.
0: Absolutely. So let's start with inflation. So you were one of the early voices to warn about the prospect that the mix of accommodative monetary and fiscal policies might lead to inflation to take off, especially here in the US. What's your assessment of the inflation picture today?
1: Well, my assessment is that there is a lot of inflation today. (laughs) (laughs) The question is, is why? I, I mean, clearly, in retrospect, I think you know I was not the only one. Larry Summers was another one, I'd probably even better, but better know. And I think on that we were right that there was clearly a risk that inflation would be high. I think it has turned out to be even higher than I expected. When I thought about it at the time, what I realized is that the demand push was very, very strong, and I realized that the supply side might not respond. But I underestimated, I think, the degree to which. Um, supply chain disruptions might play a role. In terms of why, you know, how did it work out? I think that I was right partly for the wrong reasons. What I had thought was it would basically be this very large increase in demand. Unemployment was already quite low at the time. And this would basically put pressure on wages, which would lead pressure to pressure on prices, which would lead to inflation. And it turned out to work a bit differently. And the pressure on wages was actually quite weak at the beginning, but the pressure on prices given wages was very strong. So the, the effect of demand hitting supply constraints was much stronger, I think, than I had anticipated. So the story was not A very overheated economy leading to high wages, leading to high prices, was more an overheating economy leading to high prices, which then led workers who were in a fairly strong bargaining position to try to increase wages. But the the mechanism was not exactly what I had anticipated.
0: So one of the reasons I think the Fed seems to have missed the boat on inflation, at least early on, was that they seem to, to see the increase in inflation as concentrated in a few areas like durable goods and therefore as likely to be transitory, to use that, that dreaded word that's now been abolished from the vocabulary. But now the inflation has become much broader and I think that's one of the main concerns for them. What aspects of the inflation picture worry you the most? Is it the fact that it's gotten into wages, what? How, house price factors, what, what what's concerning you there?
1: What's concerning me, so when I look at what's happening, so the source of the inflation was very much demand ran, running into supply constraints and needing to very large price increases in many places, not just energy and commodities, but everywhere. I think in terms of that, uh, looking forward, the news is fairly good. In the sense that if I if I look at the various factors, you know, the price of oil is probably not going to decrease as it would have if OPEC had not moved, but probably not going to increase very much. The price of commodities uh, is like is decreasing, has decreased. Supply chain disruptions are going away, so this is the good news. What worries me more is that behind the scene. So I think the numbers on on the headline inflation may be quite good in the next few months. Not quite in time for the elections, but but I think the news is going to be good and people are going to think well maybe we're getting somewhere. But behind the scene, it's clear that there are still basically two issues. I think the economy is still overheating, uh, so this is a question of what is the natural rate in the U.S., which is an impossible question to answer. But you know, we 3.5 percent is very low. Uh, when we had 3.5 percent before the COVID crisis, the notion was well, it's already quite. Below the natural rate. I think there are good reasons to think that the natural rate has increased because of the increased reallocation, the matching issues. So I think we're below the natural rate, which is putting pressure on wages and prices. Uh, and then there's the what's what's known as the second round effects, which is that initially workers got a big decrease in real wages because some of the prices increased a lot. Uh, and they're in a fairly strong position to try to go to, to get those back, right? Uh, even the labor market is very tight. So they're trying basically what you look at, when you look at wage dynamics, uh, they are fairly strong. And so I think the combination of another heating economy and fairly strong catch up effects or second round effects, is such that behind the scene of other headline numbers are likely to look better. Behind the scene, there is still a fairly serious issue. That's what the Fed has to deal with, which is it's not quite co-inflation. I mean, you, you know, because the shocks don't come from energy and commodities, you just can't look at co-inflation as defined, but underlying inflation is still fairly strong. So I think the Fed will have to do uh, quite a bit. The economy is not going to slow down on its own. I think is also an important aspect. And so the Fed will, you know, will have to slow it down. And I think it will do it. I have no doubt that the Fed is committed to reducing inflation. Maybe not to the two percent target, maybe to a bit higher, but is committed to getting more roughly there. Uh, and for this, it will have to increase interest rates. No question. So let's talk about the
0: Fed's response so far. They went from you know perhaps being a little late in the game, but then once they arrived, they arrived with with full force and you know who would have thought that we'd be getting 75 basis point rate hikes you know in multiple and consecutive meetings so how is the fed still behind the curve in your view and how much further are they likely to have to go
1: no i think at this stage i think the fed has caught up and is more or less at the curve i thought for a long time that it was behind the curve i think that basically from the middle of last year Jay paul realized that he was behind the curve, that the forecasts were not going to happen the way the Fed had anticipated it, and he had to kind of get to the curve. And his strategy, I think, has been to try to get back to the curve without spooking markets, basically in steps. What's interesting is markets didn't see that the first step was just the first step, so we were surprised by the second and the third step and so on. I think now I would be more or less where where he is or where the Fed is. That doesn't mean that it's It's the end. I think now from now on, you know, in expected value, that's about right. I I think there's a very good chance that they have to do more than they have said, that we see the rates go up below, you know, above 4%, maybe to 5% or more. But I think they are very close to where I would like them to be be today.
0: Does that mean that they are just mathematically, they'll have to slow the pace of hikes fairly soon? And do you think they'll get inflation numbers that will give them the room to do so?
1: I think what what they should do is basically look at underlying inflation. And again, I don't think it's quite core inflation, but underlying inflation and see whether it's actually slowing down. Then they can start relaxing slowly. In terms of credibility, I think the fact, if I'm right, that headline inflation is going to look better over the next few months, that's going to give them some room to slow down. Despite the fact that the slowdown is really not due to the Fed at this point, uh, it's due to you know, again, first round effects turning around, commodity prices declining and so on. But that's going to look, the inflation numbers are going to look a bit better. So they cannot stop doing what they are doing, but they can slow down. If they see that the economy is really slowing down a lot, then they can relax. Uh, you know, the issue is at what rate do they have to basically get to? What I have said is a natural rate, at least. Uh If you think the, the natural rate is five percent, and we're at three point five percent. Then we need an increase in unemployment of one point five percent. Now you can do this in a month by having, you know, a major recession. Uh, you can do this in two years, in which case the growth rate is still is still potentially positive. That's, I think, the dimension that we don't know. That's what they'll have to assess as they go along. And but they have of- a bit of political room to to play with, hopefully. This
0: is kind of their hope around the soft landing, right? Is if they they can get to the right level and hold it there, that they'll be able to achieve one. They've been dancing around this notion, but it doesn't really sound like getting to 5% unemployment is particularly soft.
1: Uh, No. I mean, again, if, if they have two years to do it and they don't lose credibility in the process, then it's okay. It's kind of soft. If it turns out that they have to go faster because their credibility is at stake, then this probably means a recession, yes. And this, so it
0: all, a lot of it hinges on expectations and on the path of expectations. Is that your view? Well,
1: I think there are, there are issues about expectations. I think at this stage, expectations are about right. Yeah, expectations about long-term inflation are fairly close to the to the target. They haven't moved very much. As long as this is the case, they can, more or less relaxed and they can decide about the rate. As soon as they see this increase, because people say it's just taking too long, we've had inflation for you know, six months more than we expected and so on, then they have to tighten. So I think the viable they're really going to look at is that one. As long as it's anchored, which it seems to be, then this gives them room to go more or less fast.
0: And now given the, the pace, the aggressiveness with which they've moved, what are the chances of a recession in your view?
1: Well, you know, we just discussed it, right? Which is, uh, they would like to go slow and the economy to basically just slow down steadily and not lose credibility. So in principle, there is a path along which they can do it. I mean, you know, if they have absolute credibility, they take, they, they could take three years to get to, uh, to the natural rate. It's clear that they can't do it if they did. They tried to do it in three years, they would lose credibility. So it's this trade-off. And I think that's what's going to determine things, which is that if the news on the headline is good, if expectations at the long end are anchored, then they can go relatively slowly. They don't need to do much more than what they have done. And potentially, we can avoid a recession. But clearly, that's a very narrow path.
0: And is the market wrong to think the Fed will cut rates next year? There's this expectation that, look, historically, that's just the way it goes peak rates lead to rate cuts within three to six months. That's how market participants think about it. And so no matter how much the Fed says, we're not gonna do it, markets keep pricing it in. What do you think?
1: So I would I would think that at some stage next year, there'll be no position uh, to cut rates slowly. Again, we don't know. But yeah, my guess is yes, sometime next year.
0: That's because inflation will have cooperated enough that they'll, you know, the real rate- Yeah,
1: are- but, but the news on, on headline will continue to be good that underlying inflation is on the way down. And so they can relax a bit and they can decrease interest rates. I mean, looking forward, I still have the notion that interest rates, real interest rates, will go back more or less to where they were before the COVID crisis. The question is, is when? and. For this, I don't think we know, but my guess is sometime next year, which is a fairly generous guess. I mean, that's a a, a, a band of 12 months, so I'm not committing to too much here, but yes. Fair enough. So
0: turning to financial stability a little bit, I'm wondering how much you worry about possible spillovers from the UK crisis and the market flare-ups that we've seen uh, there in the gilt market. You know what, what? keeps you up at night from a financial stability standpoint? The
1: dollar's rises it seems to be affecting everybody as well. I worry, but I don't worry much more now. I, I think the UK example, I mean, the direct effects of what happened in the UK on the US, I think, are negligible. But once more, uh, we realize that we, you have to have really granular understanding of of what the various financial players are doing because again financial stability is not what i think about i mean i think about but it's not what i know well when i think of pension funds and increases in interest rates then i think of pension funds as being in heaven right? that's a reaction you have liabilities haven't changed very much and the assets basically pay more so i would have thought you know from a distance that that would not be Bad news for pension funds. What we learn is that in order to basically get a bit more return, they have taken positions and so there are margin calls and those things like this. But you know, it has been explained to me exposed. I surely would not have anticipated it. Exante, and I'm not sure that the regulators understood exactly what was going on Exante. So I think it's once more an example of the complexity of a financial relations and the behavior of the financial uh, players. And we have to be ready for accidents like this. So I don't think it has a direct, you know, what's happening in the UK doesn't have a direct effect, but it makes us once more realize that we have to be incredibly careful about financial stability. And when interest rates move a lot, then presumably all kinds of players lose and win. And this may have implications that we haven't thought about, or at least I haven't thought about. So I worry, but I'm worried since the financial crisis, and I don't worry more today than 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 before. What about the European
0: situation? You know, there is still an ongoing war that leads to a lot of volatility and uncertainty, especially around the, the commodity and energy picture. I wonder if you see the energy shock that Europe has undergone as a kind of recessionary hit to the world economy, an inflationary hit to us, or or a little bit of both?
1: No, I think the situation in Europe is very different from that of the U.S. And that's more or less due to gas. Gas is a gigantic issue. There is a price dimension, which is, you know, if people had to pay the market price for gas, people would be in the, well, people would be freezing probably and they would be in the streets. And so what the governments have done is basically limit the increase in the price of gas to consumers and firms. And they are doing more and more of that. But given that they do this, then the incentives for people to, Save on gas and save on electricity are weaker than they would otherwise be. So there's going to be rationing almost surely. And that again, we don't know exactly how it works. I mean, rationing of a few firms doesn't seem like the end of the world, but what we have learned with supply chain disrupt- disruptions is that small things can lead to very big effects. So I think that what's going to happen in Europe is probably a recession, partly driven from the supply side. Again, the rationing, but as in the US having big demand effects. So the situation is quite different. So the ECB is in a different position. I think headline inflation is going to look quite bad for a while because of our gas prices are capped, they're increasing slowly. Uh, So very different from the US. Underlying inflation actually is better. You know, wages have not reacted as strongly in Europe as they have in the US. The economies are not overheating so my impression is that it's just the opposite of the us headline is going to look worse but behind the scene on the lying inflation is going to look better in addition you no know, the recession is going to put a damper on wage demands for unemployment despite the fact that it's a supply shock you know, unemployment is likely to increase so the ecb is in a very different position from the fed I would, ahead. Assume,
0: I would assume that means their terminal rate would be a lot lower
1: than than the Fed's. Well, I think only the terminal rate, but the whole yield curve. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's an argument for thinking that, uh, again, the what they have to deal with is less than what the U.S. has to deal with, and that the economy is going to slow down on its own without the ECB having to kind of increase interest rates very much. So I think they have to increase interest rates a bit just to show that they are serious about it. but Probably not very much, and there's a chance that they don't have to do much more than what they have announced. This has obvious implications for the U.S. in terms of the dollar-euro rate, which is I really see the paths of interest rates in the U.S. and in Europe as being very different for some time. I don't know how long, maybe two, three years. And so this explains, I think, the strength of the dollar, and it's not a bubble. It's perfectly justified.
0: Now, turning lastly to some slightly different news. Today, we had the Nobel Prize announcement. It was awarded to former Fed Chair Ben Bernanke, Douglas Diamond, and Philip Divig for their work on, I guess, financial instability, as we've been discussing, right? right? Financial crises in banking. What do you make of of their work and of the timing of the award?
1: I think timing of the award, I mean, yes. I mean, there are always crises. So I don't think there is any, any timing aspect to that. But I, I think it's a very good prize. You know, Diamond and Deepvig really wrote a paper which formalized something that most people knew, which is that there are multiple equilibria uh, and deposit ones, and we have seen many of them, but they basically gave an analytical structure which allowed many people to, to do further work. So I think it's very justified. Ben may not have such a have not made such a fundamental contribution, but he surely has made a fundamental contribution to the world. And that's what I like, which is this... I don't know if it's the first time I would have to go back, but I think it's it may be the first time that somebody gets it by being both an academic and having done superb research and having made the world a much better place. or at least, you know, I have avoided the world being a much worse place uh, during the financial crisis. So, you know, if you think of economists alive today, I suspect that Ben has made the, the biggest difference to GDP relative to the counterfactual. You know, it's probably in the trillions of dollars. I don't think he's going to be paid that, as opposed to CEOs who basically get paid, you know, whatever the increase in the value of a firm is, he's uh, is going to get less than that. But he's going to get the price, and I'm very, very happy with it. I think it's completely justified. Well, thank
0: you so much for your time. That was Dr. Olivier Blanchard, former chief economist of the International Monetary Fund and senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics. It has been a pleasure.